I just write straight into it. I am, oh wow, yeah, <laughs> don't amazing. ever plot. And so, it, to me, there's nothing more fun than a blank piece of paper and or computer screen and just going right. Now, I would say that that's probably not how my agents would like to hear. <laughs> they've been trying. They're to not listening. Me. They're not. Listening. I know. They've been trying to help me learn how to outline. So really, now what I do is I write the first draft and then I make an outline from that and then I say, here's what I'm thinking about writing. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Because I just, I don't know if I outline, it takes all the spark out of my my characters. They just don't like it. So I, I like a blank slate and just going forward. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. This week, we are thrilled, and that pun was intended, to welcome a multiple award-winning Amazon Charts and USA Today bestselling author of contemporary fiction that explores what goes on behind the surface of seemingly perfect lives, Kara Ruda. Kara is an accomplished business leader, entrepreneur, national speaker, and internationally bestselling and award-winning author a former magazine editor and society columnist. I wonder how those two go together. Carol won the Stevie Award for Women in Business for creating the first female-focused residential real estate brand, Real Living. She lives in Southern California with her husband, Congressman Harley Ruda, and her four 20-something children. Her latest book, The Widow, continues her reputation for writing books that are and this is my own quote. I read this somewhere. I love it. The opposite of family values. I am Ron Block. And I am Patty Callahan Henry. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me. And I I love that quote too, Ron, about the, I know, whatever the opposite of family values is, that's what I write about. Especially since in politics, they're always like family values, right? Right. So we are so excited to talk to you about The Widow and about so much more than just this book. Library Journal says that The Widow, I love this, is a diabolical take on marriage and politics. And you are such a sunshiny, sweet, lovely woman. It, it, make, it cracks me up that you write diabolical takes. So that's what the book is about. But one of our favorite questions is, can you tell us what you think the book is really about? Gosh, that's a great question. I haven't had that yet. I think the book is actually about, hmm, I'd say, long time love, like a long time relationship and the strengths of that, as well as the uh, downsides of that. That's, that's probably what I would say. Oh, that's amazing. So let's, let's start with the obvious. Your husband has a political career and this novel is about the wife of a political icon. 
eventually, spoiler alert, the widow, and your husband is in politics. In fact, he's running for Congress right now. So DC is in many ways its own world. My son is up there right now. And it's fantastic when an insider gives us a peek, even fictionally. So I know that it's based on a little known DC mandate called the widow's mandate. So tell us about that and how this was the spark that started the fire of this novel. Yeah, you know, it was, it's interesting. When he first got elected to Congress, the most amazing part of the whole thing was kind of getting to learn DC and getting to meet all these people and a lot of them who have been there for 30 years or more. And they kind of take you under their wing and show you around and kind of try to help you figure out life, this new life in this new world. And one of the days I was exploring and I came across like a plaque on the not a plaque, but like a poster or or something, like an exhibit, I'd say, on the wall in the Capitol building. And it was talking about the first woman who served in Congress. And then it talked a little bit about the widow's mandate. And then I started researching more. And it turns out that most every one of the women who've served in Congress in the last hundred years were because of this tradition where their husband died in office. And if it's in the Senate, then the governor will appoint the spouse to serve out the remainder of the term, the widow's mandate. Or in Congress, there'll be a special election and usually the um, widow will win the sympathy vote. And so like, if you think of when Sonny Bono died tragically, then his wife, Mary, and the Congress, and then Cindy McCain's most recently when John McCain died. So for me, though, as a suspense writer, I love the notion that the best way for a woman who had political aspirations at a federal level was through a dead husband. So that kind of made me (laughs) realize like, well, that might make for a great story. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Isn't it funny how one little thing, it can be a song, it can be a poster hung on a wall and you get that kind of tingle, like there's something there. And then you spun it from there. You took, because it's not just about the widow's mandate. Of course, it's about a woman, right? So you spin it from there. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, it was really fun. And it was my first book set in D.C. So that was also really fun because I have to get to know a setting pretty well to be able to place a story there. And so to be able to kind of stomp around in my imagination in this world was fun, too. So this is a burning question that Patty and I had. And we want all the details. Did your husband read the book before it was released? Did you have to make any changes due to concerns? Well, okay. So this was kind of funny. So, all right. So he won in 2018, served in the 2019 to 2021 house, then lost the next cycle. And then he was gearing up to run again. And that's about the time when I sold this book (laughs) to my publisher. (laughs) And so we were in this big like kickoff meeting with his consultants and everything. And I'm like, should I tell them about the book? And they're all like, book, what book? I'm like, oh, it's about a cheating congressman whose wife may or may not kill him to take a seat. And they're like, what? No. So there was a whole mad freak out for a little bit. But then, you know, some of them ended up reading the book and they were fine with it. And Harley had already read it. So he, he's really supportive of all of my books. He, as he tells people, he sleeps with one eye open. (laughs) (laughs) So it ended up with them coming to the conclusion that if this is what they were going to attack us on, because in the political, we're in a swing district, so it's really evil. 
at the end of the campaign. So if they were going to attack us on a fictional book, then we would be in good shape if that's what they were going to go after. So, yeah. Makes but it, it was kind of funny. <laughs> the whole timing you know, of it all. Yeah. Did you change anything that. after that meeting? Like, was there anything that you shifted or, or, or changed? I think I used, I'm ter- like, I think I had used like a real name for someone, you know, in one of the positions without even realizing Cause when I do names, I just, they just kind of roll into my brain and I just write them down. So I think Ditto. I changed yeah. a couple names and that was it. Cause they were either too similar to somebody that had been on one of the campaigns or something like that. But, but no, not, not any of the plot points for sure. The entire novel is told from three first-person perspectives. And it shows, of course, your strength in character development. But what is truly fascinating is that each perspective feels like its own, right? I don't have to look at the header to see who's speaking because they're each so individualistic. Can you talk about diving into three headspaces like that, three completely different headspaces like that? And, you know, I've been having fun. Uh, thanks for the compliment. I, I've been really, since Best Day Ever came out, I've just found myself in this first person kind of unreliable narrator space, which I love. <laughs> so for my first two books, Best Day Ever and The Favorite Daughter, I was inside one person's um, perspective for the whole book, which is really hard. I Exhausting. Back. <laughs> yes. So now I kind of, I'm playing around with diff- multiple perspectives and I've been having so much more fun with that because then if Jody Asher, the congressman's wife, if she starts to give away too much, I can just switch to her best friend Mimi and have her pop in. And, you know, they are such distinct characters that in my imagination, I think they just came out that way. I had a chance to sit, sit in some hearings about the influence of China. And, you know, that kind of got me going with the Mimi's story. And I read a lot of books about, I shouldn't tell you who she is, but about what her background is. <laughs> and uh, it was a really fascinating, but then my um, agent and publisher were like, uh, you don't write, you know, political thrillers. We got to keep this not too political. So I kind of had to back her off a little, but I think a lot of what I read about what kind of uh, operative she is came from a lot of the things that I had read and learned about when we were in DC. And listening to the hearings. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't it, is it a relief to jump from one head to another? It is for me. Like it can be exhausting dwelling in one character's head for too long. And I've done both, you know, multiple points of view and also only one, the whole book, like Joy Davidman. It was only her, the whole book. (laughs) It was exhausting. And I love her, but there's, but there's, there's something wonderful about standing on another ground and looking at, at the same, same perspective. But like I said before, what's fascinating is you are this bright, shiny, cheerful, lovely woman, and you get into these diabolical headspaces and these, unre- I want you to talk a little bit how that feels and how you pull in and out of that. You know, it's it, my uh, daughter is a screenwriter. She is up in LA and she She's like, before we had talked through this, she's like, mom, why do you keep writing these dark characters and scary stuff? I mean, she works in the animation and enlightening children and all this. <laughs> she's like, I just don't understand it. <laughs> and I really do think after having, when Paul and Best Day ever popped into my head, it was kind of the first time I 
delve into these kind of characters in the world. And I really believe now that it's a way to process kind of the dark side mm. of the world. So when I'm writing in these characters or when I'm, I, I, I'm kind of in control and it's not as scary to, to me, I think. And I, I do think, for example, Paul was a way to process all my spectacularly bad bosses. <laughs> I mean, I had some doozies, right? And so, you know, sexist and just everything bad. And I didn't realize they were kind of, their words were still roaming around in my brain and they all kind of came together and came out through Paul, which is a really great way to, process it I think and so that's kind of what I'm, I'm, I believe that's why I enjoy doing it I'm not really sure but I think that's why and so with Jody and Martin Asher and their whole experience in Congress I think that might have been a way to process that that time some of the dirt you see too yeah well I always say we only have our own compost pile to write from whether that's a past experience with a bad boss or something we've noticed in the world because there's always the shadow Always. Yes, always. So it's so funny. Like, um, this is my first time meeting you, Kara, and I didn't know what to expect after reading the book. I just thought, oh, what is this going to be? I mean, I was kind of expecting Mary Tyler Moore from Ordinary People. But this is so much more refreshing. So Thanks, much more. So, <laughs> no, what a pleasant, lovely surprise. <laughs> I told okay. you I'm from Ohio. You should have. You should have been relaxing about that. I know. I'm in Ohio right Midwest now. Midwest, nice. So, Midwest, yeah. nice. Yeah, Midwest. Yeah. And I did. I love the Ohio connection in the book too. So. Yeah, that was funny because we used to live in Columbus and I tend to set things either in, in Ohio or in California and then DC, the, the DC book. Of course, Martin had to be either from California or Ohio and, and in my brain it popped into Ohio's uh, 12th, I think. I, I just picked it out of the air. And it turns out one of my friends, best friends from Ohio is Karen Kasich. She was in my wedding. We went to high school together and she was married to the governor. And she's like, you know, you picked our district. I'm like, what? <laughs> Because <laughs> her husband was in Congress. So that's, I, I guess, it probably was subliminal. But I was going to say, it's all that stuff in our subconscious that bubbles right. up, whether it's a name or a, I named my daughter <laughs> Megan. And about six years ago, I went back to visit our old, where we used to spend the summers till I was only 12. So I'd forgotten the name of the road or anything like that. And we got there and the name of the road where our childhood summer cottage was, was Meg's Lane. And so you don't know what bubbles up from, from the past and shows up in a book or in life. So I, I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's so funny. I want to talk about the twists in the book. There's so many twists. And I love that the three perspectives, too. I would just want to say, too, it's like the three people looking at the same piece of art, but they are have totally different concepts of what they're looking at. So it's kind of that's the whole feel of the book. But there's so many twists. Are you... When you're writing them, are you like an architect or a gardener? Do you plan ahead or you just write straight into it? I just write straight into it. I am, oh, wow. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Don't amazing. ever plot. And so it, to me, there's nothing more fun than a blank piece of paper and or, you know, on the computer screen and just going, right? Now, I would say that that's probably not how my agents would like to hear. <laughs> they've been trying They're to not listening. Me. They're not listening. I know. They've been trying to help me learn how to outline. So really now what I do is I write the first draft and then I make an outline from that. And then I say, here's what I'm thinking about writing. <laughs> so oh, that's me. awesome. Yeah. That's because I just, trip. I don't know if I outline, it takes all the, the spark out of my, my characters. They just don't like it. So I, I like a blank slate and just going forward. 
So do you write straight through and, and include each character? Or do you write a character for a long time and then go in and fill the next character? Uh, no, I just go straight through character by character. And then I just keep a running list of who's ha- had the stage. <laughs> so I know, like if Jody was trying to hog the whole story, then I'd have to, you know, move her down. But yeah, I, that's, I kind of keep a list of who, who has been speaking and also what they're lying about usually. Yes. Do you know the ending? Not necessarily. I might know. No, I probably don't really, <laughs> to be honest. I I know usually, you know, with my books, it's usually, um, you know, adults behaving badly. So someone's going to do something to somebody. And I know generally, I, I, you, no, I didn't know the ending of this at all. And there were a couple of the scenes where, so the Ashers, Jody and Martin Ashers, only daughter, Charlotte's getting married this weekend when you meet the family. And this is like Jody's social dream to have the event of the, of DC's year. And so she's been, they've been planning the wedding. And so that she thinks the wedding's going to be the big shebang. And she gets a little surprised by the fact that the rehearsal dinner ends up being this huge event that the, uh, <laughs> that her um, future in-laws are, are hosting at this fabulous country club. So this, I knew, you know, like that was all, I knew that, but then I didn't know what would happen at the rehearsal dinner and I can't really give it away. But and when the person did no, that, no. I'm like, no way. I had to stop writing and like go down and tell Harley. <laughs> oh, Carol, that is amazing. <laughs> you would not believe what they're doing. And he's like, would, would people really do that? I'm like, I, they just did in the book. I got to keep did it. They did it. Yeah. So that, that's yeah. the fun part to me because, yeah, they, they always surprise me. That's great because that scene I was, was going to highlight is like, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but like the rehearsal dinner scene. It's so it shows like your amazing talent at dark comedy, too. It's just oh, all there. You. It's just so good. And every day isn't like that, is it, Kara? And when it hits like that, the rehearsal dinner scene, you're like, Hi. I know. It's so fun. I, I do. I love that part. And I, I love the kind of the first draft feeling. I'm getting, I'm trying to get more grown up about edits. My daughter's like, mom, everybody's trying to make it better. I'm like, I know, but I'm a pantser. I just want it. It's done when it's done. But I do. I love that whole feeling of when they surprise you for the first time before anybody else has come back and said, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, And it happens. It definitely happens. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about the interstitial letters from Jody. They are tips to welcome new staffers. And I love that because it also gives a glimpse into her personality and what she thinks is important. So tell us about that. Were these pieces of advice you were given? You mentioned earlier that people welcomed you and showed you around. Or are they pieces of advice you wish you'd been given? Oh, interesting question, Patty. You know, I think for the most part, they were based on tips that, that we were all given. So you, you, you go through, in our case, like a really close election that's not even called for, you know, weeks. And then all of a sudden you're, you have to fly to DC and then you have to learn, like you, you got to pick, you get an office and then you got to pick out the state. I mean, there's just so much and where are you going to live and how are you? Yeah. And so this place called the Congressional Club 
they hosted the new spouses for like a day of kind of seminars. So, you know, how to plan your calendar, how to make sure you're not uh, erased from the calendar because you will be if you don't like insert yourself. And so a lot of those kind of came through. It's also a club that's a hundred years old. So we, in our like welcome packet, we got how to dress, oh, good <laughs> you know, like brochures oh. and, um, Uh, You know, and we were a very diverse class in the uh, 2019, 2021, you know, the blue wave, all that stuff. So there were a lot of men. There, These booklets were pretty 1950s. That being said, it is changing. But so I think what I was trying to convey is Jody's kind of part of the old guard of D.C. And so her tips are more specifically very, um, very sweetly in the vein of more of a sorority of spouses, which is what it was for the longest time because women couldn't really get traction to serve in office. So she kind of harkens back in her tips to like that maybe more old fashioned time. And when you, uh, when you see what's playing out in the actual book, you realize times have changed quite a bit. <laughs> so it's not, and so I, I think I was kind of trying to use that as a dichotomy and then she gets a little crankier with her tips mm-hmm. as the time goes by. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't you listening to me? Yeah. Right. I'd better just not do this for a little while. <laughs> okay. So you, you started talking about what it was like to enter into the role of a congressman's spouse, but can you expand on that a little bit? And I also want to know, well, we want to know, do you still stay in touch with any of the people that you made friends with then? And have they given you any reaction to the book? Yeah, I'll start there. It was uh, so fun because I was a little bit nervous about, I actually just did a book (laughs) launch event back in DC last week and at the congressional club. And I was really worried, like, okay, how is everybody going to take this? You know, are they going to be really mad at me? And I, I mean, I, and I dedicate the book to the spouses because, and children and families of (laughs) politicians, because very few people understand what they sacrifice. And I was there for two years and I get it now so much more. So, um, that's, that's the overriding theme of the book. But anyway, I was speaking to them at the congressional club last Thursday and I, I'm like, I hope you guys aren't upset. And this one woman, Nancy, she stands up and she goes, upset. We are so thrilled. No one knows about us. And this is going to put us on the map. (laughs) She'd even gone through the book and she's like, you mentioned the congressional club 215 times. We're so thrilled. I know it was so sweet. And I don't know, it was really, I was touching because to, to back all the way up, it's almost like freshman year in college, right? So you, you get swept into this thing and you don't know anybody. You, you're, it's a whole new land world situation. So we ended up renting an apartment in a building where I think seven other freshman members of Congress ended up renting apartments. And so it was like being in a freshman dorm. <laughs> so That's awesome. like, so there was, you know, like we were all going through the same thing so we could help each other. And like, it was really, and because I think it's such an intense experience and such a whirlwind you really develop deep bonds with people like you do in freshman year in college so yes uh, I still have I keep in touch with a lot of people there both the people in my freshman class as well as the people who helped us <laughs> kind of guided us along so and a lot of those folks are mentioned in the book and I got to see a lot of the women at the congressional club last week so that was really special 
That is awesome. So a little more personal, if you don't mind. We know that you've met so many fascinating people in Washington. We've heard you met Malala. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. 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 And we, so she was speaking to us and very much, you know, like on a huge stage way, you know, we're all just in the audience and it was so magical. And I, I believe she was getting an award. And so anyway, so I'm like, oh, I'm such a big fan. And so anyway, we got to see her and that was that. And I thought, you know, that would be the end of that. But then we go to dinner, we come back and Harley and I are like, walking around this corner and there's Malala standing kind of in this, like, I don't know, tucked in. The, I'm like, Oh, oh, are we allowed to go over? And she, you know, a couple of people with her and she's like, yes, you can say hi. And I'm like, okay. So I got to shake her hand and then we got a photo and I, it, you know, like just larger than life experiences like that are amazing. And mm-hmm. yeah, she was amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Explain to people that. who she is. It's if for those who don't know. Yeah, well, so she's um, the young woman who was, was she shot? Yes. Yes. For trying to go to school. And now she's become an activist. And one of those people who, I guess, because of fate, but also strength of character, she can sit silently (laughs) in this huge auditorium and not, before she even begins to speak, you can feel her power. It's really hard to explain she unless you're campaigning. She won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Yes. yes. And she but and she's very uh, soft spoken and but just so much raw power and life energy. Uh, yeah, she's just amazing. Same thing with Greta when um she came, she uh Harley was on the head of uh, chair of the oversight of the environmental subcommittee on oversight. So I got to meet her when she came to speak before Congress. So right before she went out and they had to give her like a, a little step to stand on to get, to reach the microphone. Oh. And so she, but behind in the committee area behind, before she came out, I was talking to my daughter before and she said, mom, tell Greta that she's like the Joan of Arc of our generation and that we all need her so much. So, you know, there's, she's standing there, this t- young woman and um, all these like old Congress people are like, well, you know, including me, like, so nice to meet you. And I said, you know, I just, I said that to her and she's like, that's the best thing I've heard since I came to America. And so my daughter, and, but she is like, that's the kind of power she is. Like meeting her was, you know, these, this next generation is going to save us. They really are. As long as we listen to them. And these women, women, right? Oh, I'm so, you get to be involved in so much. Yeah. I mean, there, there are, those are the really amazing moments that, yeah. Yeah. It's quite a blessing. So not only are you doing all this, being a congressman's wife, trying to navigate things, now he's running for office, you're writing books, huge bestsellers, but last year, and you're raising your kids, and your daughter's a screenwriter, and I know you write with her, and your son, I think he has like a monster Lego YouTube or TikTok channel. He does. And that was, that came out of the pandemic because, you know, everybody's like at home, they all moved home. And um, my daughter's like, you know, your passion is, and you haven't been doing it. And so, yeah, that's been amazing. Yeah. And my youngest is, is finally like, he um, is a singer songwriter. So he had signed with Sony and AWOL for like writing and artistry. Uh, in January and then the pandemic shut everything down in March. So we had just moved to LA, just had, you know, like 
all of this. So it's been a long slog for him because there's no performing, there's no anything, but now it's coming back. So he's, he's, oh my gosh. Well, on top of all of that last year, because you don't have enough to do last year, you started (laughs) the killer authors club with Kimberly Bell and Heather, whose last name I'm going to mispronounce, Gudenkoff? Guden- yeah, no, that's right. Gudenkoff. Yes. You got it. You got um, it. Yeah, way to go. A monthly <laughs> book club with books and cocktails. Share with us about how that started. And because we have friends in fiction, you guys started the Killer Authors Club. We band together, right? These are, I, these are what we do in these times. Well, and, that, and that's the thing. I had... The, somebody's home coming out and it was going to be my second pandemic book after the next wife. And I'm sitting here in, you know, in my house, not doing <laughs> real events and thinking, wow, there's got to be a different way to talk about these kind of domestic suspense books and thriller books and, and also do it in a fun way to support each other. And I knew Kimberly Bell also had another book coming out around the same time. So I reached out to her. I'm like, all right, do you want to do something together? Like do a show or do, you know, something. And she's like, yes. And then Heather also had the overnight guests coming out. And so I just kind of said, all right, you guys, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to, I mean, I want it to be about killing, but I also want it to not be like bloody law, like all that. I want it to be more subtle and fun. So that's kind of how it started. And we have, we're into it a year now and it's, you know, the benefit of it, the best part of it was being able to get to know those two really well, as I know you've found with yours and just having a chance to talk to other authors and understanding that other people want to hear from them too. And yeah, we've been having a blast. I just, it's, it's been so fun. I mean, I know how to find you because I know where, where it is, but ha- tell our listeners how to find the killer authors club. Are you on, oh, yeah. it's on Facebook. <laughs> yes. We have a, the killer author clubhouse, which is a private group, but we also have the, everybody's welcome to join. We also have the killer author club, which is, uh, open. I mean, it's not private. And we are, we have a website, killerauthorclub.com. And that has a whole schedule of everything that you would ever want on it. And, oh, and we also have a YouTube channel that we're trying to grow. So we're up to 210 members. Yay. Yay. Followers. Yay. Yeah. So it's Killer Author Club on YouTube. So yeah, it's, it's been really fun. And, you know, it's uh, when you get to talk, like, like we're talking right now and kind of take a moment to appreciate this career and it, all of its ups and downs and all of that. It really it adds so much depth and perspective to what we all do by ourselves all day. I think so, you know, it also, it, 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 it reminds us we're not alone, even though 90% of our job is alone. Right. Exactly. I mean, we can't write a book with a whole bunch of people in the room. We have a right. lot of voices in the room, but yeah, not people. Yeah. Head. But yeah. to know that other authors are are in a dry spell, or hit a wall, or had a plot tangle, or I don't know, got a bad review. I know you never have, but I have. Oh no, gosh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just yeah, to know <laughs> that we're kind of all in the same boat always. That's been the biggest bonus, I think, of killer, you know, your group and friends in fiction. And anytime authors get together to support other authors is to remind us that we're just not alone in this. So I'm so glad you have the Killer Authors Club. Everybody who's listening, y'all need to go find it. So definitely. It'll go up to 270 Four. members. Yeah, there you go. I think so. I think so. It's like an avalanche of YouTube followers or likes there or you whatever. Go. Yeah. Yeah. They certainly are dedicated, the people that follow. And, and it's so nice to see that community go beyond just the authors, but then all of the people that 
our fans and 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 yeah. love your work and aspiring authors too. Yeah. So, as if you have nothing else to do, we also know that you have a strong commitment to community service. Can you talk about where that came from, your passion for that, and highlight some of the work you've done? And specifically, maybe one lesser known thing that we should all know about. Um, sure. Okay. I've always been active in the community. And I, I guess I, I was always pretty, I, I remember, you know, campaigning for uh, my teacher, a history teacher who was running for school board, you know, back in uh, high school. And so I've always been pretty active in, I guess, yeah, active in what, when I, when I see something wrong (laughs) and it really kicked into high gear when I was young and working in an ad agency in Columbus, Ohio. And I read an article in the New Yorker about based on a book, Rachel and her children, and it was about homeless families. And I guess it had never dawned on me. And this is, I guess, like late eighties, early, yeah, late eighties that this was happening to families too. I mean, I, I was aware of homeless individuals, but I hadn't thought about the family angle. So I just picked up the phone and called the guy who ran the largest shelter for men in Columbus. And I said, can we meet? I just need to learn about this. And he's like, sure, come on down. So I find myself in this men's shelter for the first time, you know, he's wearing a knife and it's like a rugged place. And I said, well, what do we do for families in Columbus? And he's like, oh, there's nothing. So if a family's homeless, the men go to the men's shelter and the women and the kids under 16 go to the women's shelter. So when you have a family that's intact and the last thing they have are each other, they were dividing people up. So anyway, so I started a shelter for homeless families, all volunteer and just kind of rallied like the ad agency world. And so we made some great PSAs. And so that was kind of my, one of my most proud moments called Maker in Columbus. And anyway, so I guess I've always just felt like we all have time and treasures to give and you know, it doesn't have to be starting something, but I'm also now a commissioner with California Volunteers Commission. And this is like amazing. The whole goal of the commission is to get everyone in California to donate at least an hour a week to their community with the notion being that if we all work together to solve problems, it doesn't really matter what your politics are, what your, you know, all of the divides that separate us these days, you come together on a common goal and a common cause, and it really brings people together. So I I love that commission. And um, anyway, yes, so I'm Commissioner Kara right now. (laughs) Author Kara, Mother Kara, Wife Kara, Commissioner Kara. I'm just going to make a couple more of you. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been neat. I, I uh, haven't gotten to see them all in person because it's been through Zoom. So I'm, I'm anxious to like meet the other commissioners, really impressive people. And it has the support of the governor and the first partner. And there's just so much good going on. There's like they just started a college corps where you give time kind of like the Peace Corps or AmeriCorps, but it's college. So you can get your college tuition paid if you give community service. We just started a climate corps. So if you want to get involved in the wow. climate, have started. so there's so many programs. It's really exciting. Good on you, Kara. That's amazing. Really good. I think we need T-shirts for each of her I know, personalities. The Kara Club. <laughs> All right. Wow. As we round this out. I always like the New York Times book review question about who are three authors, living or dead, that you'd invite to dinner. But I have a variation from you for you, and okay. it's from our agent. We share one of the best agents in the business, Meg Ruley, and this question is hers. Who are three Washingtonians, living or dead, that you would invite to dinner? Don't you love that? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. All right. Well, okay. John Lewis. Amazing. You know, I'm in Alabama, so. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So yeah, we went, we were able to go with him on his last walk across the in Selma. In Selma. And um, wow. what an amazing man and life story. And yeah, just amazing. So, him. Well, you know, here's the thing Nancy Pelosi, she's just an amazing woman. You know, a lot of people, she's very polarizing, but holy cow, you guys, I've never seen someone so energetic and so on high stilettos and so on all the time and just everywhere. She, she was so in her eighties. Yeah. Right. Right. To just watch her in action and the love she has for family and her faith. And anyway, she, she's just a dynamo. And so, yeah, I'd, I, I don't know that I've ever seen her sit down long enough to sit for a whole dinner. <laughs> but if, she, if she would, she would be great. And uh, who would be a third person? Living or dead. Living or dead. You know, Harley's a big Abraham Lincoln fan. And as am I, I, you know, when you start thinking about all of the great people that have helped make our country what it is, there's so many, it all almost like overwhelms you, right? So who, what's the last person, you guys? There's so many popping into my head. I know, me too. It's like bing, 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 bing. Yeah. It's really hard to pick. All right. Why am I not picking somebody? You know who's cool? Catherine Clark. And uh, she's now number two in the leadership. And I think she's also uh, warm, wonderful, smart, and a great face for the future of the Democratic Party. So I'd like to talk to her more. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, she's impressive, too. I kept thinking, like, <laughs> I was going ahead in the other direction. I was like, I want to talk to Washington. I want to talk to George so- Washington. And then I want him to tell me what he really thinks of Alexander Hamilton. And then I want to like it. You go in there, then you've got like, there's so many people, right? Like, that's what I was starting with Lincoln. And then I'm like, oh no. And then there's, yeah, right. There's just so much. And then, yeah, Jefferson, what's the, I like your dinner party. I would, I would stop by for a cocktail. Okay, good. Yeah. I'll clean up. I'll just, I'll just see you take that. (laughs) This is so off topic, but I once shared an elevator ride with John Lewis in Chicago. And it has to be one of the most, like my breath was gone. I, it was like, and I thanked him for what he did. And he looked at me and this was at a library conference. He goes, no, thank you for what you do. And I'm like, what? No, no. Anyway, but he was, he was lovely. Lovely. And yeah. So, so humble and gracious. And that's the thing with like all of these great leaders. I feel like they have this presence that doesn't need to shout or scream. They have this quiet power that, that you want to lean in and listen to they don't they don't yell (laughs) it's just it's just such a it's such a quality that that is on display when you when you get to encounter these people these great people just like jody asher (laughs) (laughs) no no. (laughs) jody asher is not like that she will scream at you as you know (laughs) so carol what do we have to look forward to from you next well, hopefully, Patty, you don't have a book titled this. It's called- <laughs> <laughs> If I do, I'm going to change it before pub. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So my next book is called Beneath the Surface, and I'm back nice. to an Orange County Oh, it's okay. Mine's Below the Surface. Oh, great. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
terribly confusing at all. For those of you who don't understand the joke, Kara and I both had a book called The Favorite Daughter, and it came out two weeks apart from each other. Mine was a family saga, and hers was a thriller, but we had the same title, and they were they came out at the same time. So we're trying to avoid that ever happening again. We are. So back to Beneath the Surface. Yeah, it would have been fun to do something together, but they wouldn't let us. But anyway, yes, Beneath yep. the Surface is Orange County meets Succession on a mega yacht. <laughs> so it's kind of you got uh, like, me right there. Yeah. So it's it's fun. It's a little lighter than what I've been doing lately. I think now that the pandemic's kind of under control a little bit, I think my brain went a little happier. So like why not take a yacht to Catalina? <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Our listeners love a twisty thriller and The Widow and Jodie Asher will be their next book, I am sure, to be devoured. So congratulations. And where can readers connect with you online other than the Killer Authors Club? You have, because I know you have events coming up. Where, Where can people find you? Okay, so it's cararuda.com is my website, which is a lot of vowels. So it's just Kara with air in the middle and Ruda like Gouda. See how simple that is. Yeah. But also, you know, all the social medias, I'm just under my own name and Facebook, it's Kara Ruda Books. Okay, great. Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us. I loved it. Oh, thank you guys. It was such fun to be here. Thank you. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. We love that we get to explore so many different aspects of storytelling and meet such stellar creators. We hope you're enjoying your listening time with us, and we hope to see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.